Hello and welcome to Daddy's Show. I always throw my arms up when I do that introduction, don't I? You do. I, I just did. It, I did like... it with you then. I, I was... Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like being uh, doing a Mexican wave. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues, the podcast where we're finally allowed back into a football stadium at up to a maximum of two thousand people thanks to Tier Two coronavirus restrictions. And normally we we talk about father and son relationships. But David Bryan, which tier are you in of the latest coronavirus restrictions? We're in tier two also. Oh, yeah, we've done it. <laughs> we've done it. I'm, I'm in a very special area of coronavirus restrictions. So for, for reference for people who listen to this in 100 years time, uh, it's the, the 5th of December 2020 um, on, was it Tuesday? Uh, I'm struggling. Yeah, on Tuesday. I don't, I Tuesday. Don't really lock, lockdown, lockdown ended. Um, no, it was Wednesday. On Wednesday, lockdown ended, the 2nd of December. And we've now entered the new tier system whereby you can kind of do some stuff unless you're in the north of England and then you can't do shit. Um, but I'm in a very uh, interesting area because the village I live in called Temple Cloud, which is not as nice as it sounds, uh, is located within the postcode, the borough of Bristol. Right. So we're out of Bristol, really. Um, and Bristol is in tier three, where there's restrictions up the wazoo. It's the only, like, the only area in the south of England that's in tier three. So we're in a Bristol postcode, but we're technically in Bath and Northeast Somerset is our, um, is our county area. So we have a Bristol postcode, but we're like, haha, you fuckers, we're in tier two, <laughs> even though we share the same postcode as the rest of Bristol. So just to throw it out there to my, my Bristol people... Suck a dick. <laughs> we're on the tier two, you sons of bitches. You're alienating so many of our fan base right now. Of our loyal Bristol fan base. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry, Bristol people. But no, it's it's a, a crazy time. Are you relieved to be out of lockdown? Did you do anything to, to celebrate? No, our, our, lives didn't, our lives didn't really change much in and out of lockdown. We're in Southampton on the south coast and me and my girlfriend both work at the General Hospital. So mm-hmm. our job situation hasn't really changed because hospitals have to keep going. And obviously there are all tight restrictions and, and everything. But um, yeah, we, uh, we've kind of embraced lockdown ever since the first one. So even between these lockdowns, our lives didn't change much. Maybe we, went, we had dinner with my or lunch with my parents a couple of times. But, you know, really, I, I've kind of enjoyed being free of the obligation to go out and do stuff. And we're both doing a lot more things at home creatively and and productively so actually as besides all of the you know implications to the the whole population health wise um i wouldn't mind if it carries on actually <laughs> the these restrictions if like the restrictions kept on into the new year or something yeah i would i would, wouldn't to, mind to if the government was just would have the balls to say you know what no no one go anywhere i know it's christmas and we should be afraid of uh, pissing people off um but no you should all continue to be locked down because the pandemic isn't going to take a break for christmas just because we want it to mm. you know it's true the pandemic's a hindu i don't know if if they they put that on the news yet but it doesn't celebrate christmas well, yeah, so exactly. it takes it takes a break for the hindu holidays but <laughs> not i should should just say that's not a deliberately a hindu joke it could have been any religion that wasn't christian that was just the first one that that, that came to my head but yeah it's it's a weird um a weird situation for sure and uh to to quote kent brockman on the simpsons 
I've said it once and I'll say it again, democracy simply doesn't work. <laughs> and this is one of those clear examples, right, where everyone's so upset. Oh, my God, but what are people going to say if they can't go out for Christmas? Uh, thanks, I'm not dead would be a pretty good response. Yeah. But anyway, anyway. anyway this isn't this isn't a coronavirus podcast. This week, it's a Holocaust <laughs> episode of the podcast. Thank God, so, no relief. Oh, phew. So we're transitioning over to um, to our topic for this week, which, I mean, I don't really need to introduce because it's in the title of the podcast, so anyone who's listening will know. But we are talking about Art Spiegelman's classic graphic novel, Mouse, um, which is uh, which was my pick of, of something to talk about. Um, it's the story of, of Art Spiegelman's father, who went through the Holocaust as, uh, as a Polish Jew in the, the 1930s. And um, it's illustrated and written by Art Spiegelman based on the interviews that he did with his father about his experience of the Holocaust, um, using anthropomorphic art to um, depict Jewish people as mice, which is where we get the, the title of mouse, uh, Germans, well, Nazis specifically, as as cats. Polish people are depicted as pigs and um, Americans are depicted as dogs. And that's kind of this idea of representation is something we'll, we'll get into throughout the podcast because it's kind of integral to, to the whole point. Um, but I brought this to Dave and because tomorrow I'm teaching um, a comics class about mouse. So if you want to come and do a comics class and pay me lots of money, then go to my Instagram, Dominic Archer Comics, and send me a message. Say, oh yeah, Dom, I'd love to to learn about comics because I'll teach you that shit for not for free. Uh, nice plug. Thank you very much. Well, maybe for free. Depends who you are. Um, is this the first time that you've you've read Mouse? It is the first time I've read Mouse, and but I when you said uh, when you asked me, have you read Mouse or well, however you phrase the question, I knew exactly. I knew that it was a graphic novel because I'd seen it in comic shops and stuff. And judging by the title and the front cover, I assumed it was in German. Um, I hadn't really looked into it, but um, yeah, I've. Um, I was glad to have an opportunity to read something I've would never have come to on my own. I don't think. And having read it, I think it's one of the best graphic novels I've ever read. Yeah, it's it's heralded up there as as one of the best. And it's a really interesting one because in terms of, if I'm going to get really arsy about, about its definition, Spiegelman didn't like it being called a graphic novel when it first came out because he started publishing it in uh, Raw magazine, which is like an alternative comics uh, magazine that was very popular in, in the States in like the 70s and 80s. And as uh, as it was coming out, it was serialized. So it was when you read the book, it's split into different chapters, and um, it was published chapter by chapter as a comic would be. Um, but it was termed a graphic novel when publishers started putting all of these chapters together into a single book to sell, and then saying, "Well, now it's a graphic novel." And Art Spiegelman, to begin with, was of the view um, it's not a novel. Right. Like it's it's a graphic art, certainly, but it's published as a comic and there's nothing novelic, I guess. There's nothing novelic about Mouse. It's my father's biographical story. So he didn't want it to be termed as a graphic novel because he didn't want it to appear as if the story was fictional. 
And that's a really interesting counterpoint when you come to the fact that all the characters are anthropomorphized. So he's saying it's not a novel, but it's also not completely realistic because people are depicted as animals. You know, he's it's a really interesting book to, to kind of discuss and to get into. It's interesting um, that you brought up the, the definition of it because I as I was reading it, it kind of made me redefine what I thought a graphic novel was. Um, I think mainly because most of the graphic novels I read are compendiums of serialized comics and they're often sci-fi or action adventure or superheroes or anything like that. So I feel that this is probably the first graphic novel I've ever read that was grounded, truthfully grounded in reality and autobiographical in that way. And yeah, I kind of got stuck on the literal terms of graphic and novel because I felt like I was reading a book, like it was a page turner, like reading a book. And I kind of, and I think the fact that it's drawn in just black ink as well, didn't make it seem like an entirely visual, uh, you know, I didn't consume it in an entirely visual way or even a semi-visual way. I was drawn into the story. So it it kind of felt like a literal, literalized graphic novel, if you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do. And yeah, the, uh, the artistic style that um, that Spiegelman chooses is like really influenced by uh, wood cut comics that he that um that he was interested in woodcut is like a ridiculous form of making comics these days but it's a kind of like doing a printing press kind of of situation where you you kind of illustrate your image then it it's carved onto wood and then the wood is printed onto the I'm probably wrong in trying to describe exactly how it works, um, but it it comes up with a very unique um, illustrative style, and often um, with very uh, with very few words because you you don't write the words onto wooden onto wooden mm. block, so you end up with um, very distinctive silent comics. But Spiegelman has kind of drawn from that from that lineage of of woodcut comics to create this. Yeah, this style, which is is really brilliant and, and yeah, unique. yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to do a to take anything away from the art style because I I loved how it was drawn. Mm. I thought it was it's, again that's nothing nothing like I've ever seen before, and really brilliant in how you can draw what is essentially line drawings of of mice, especially with the mice because they are much more of the personalized characters, the individualized characters, and how you can tell them all apart. I, fa- I yeah found that very impressive. Yeah, I should say as well, I, I didn't mention this to you when I, I sent you your copy, um, but this is, we are talking about uh, the first volume of Mouse today. I only sent you the first volume, yeah. so there is a second a second yeah. volume to, to continue on with. So this one, when it was first released, it has this, the subtitle, um, My Father Bleeds History, which is on the contents page, I think. Yes. And... That is a fucking daddy issues subtitle for a book if I've ever <laughs> if I've ever heard one before. My father bleeds history. Um, unlike how we normally do these episodes, we we discussed uh, off pod. We're not going to kind of go through the plot so much because um, it almost feels kind of a, a little bit disrespectful to go through it as if it is a novel 
and and um, uh, try and describe a one man's life in an hour podcast um, in this case. So we really want to talk about the relationship between uh, between Art Spiegelman himself and his father, Vladik, who he is he's telling the story of in this book. And um, yeah, how it kind of how it kind of spoke to us. Um, and we yeah, we'll, we'll go through we'll go through uh, bits of the, of the book uh, as we do. Um, but yeah, as to kind of jump into it, what did you think of the way that art depicts himself and depicts his father within the book? Do you feel like it's an honest depiction or one that he's um, maneuvering for the sake of? Of the art, of the art. I'm gonna have to refer to him as Spiegelman. Okay. So when we talk about art, I, we know I'm talking about the. Yeah. the media I, I wrote of him down as Artie because in the book Vladik, his father yeah. calls him Artie. So it's, for me, it's Artie and Vladik. Yeah. Great. Okay. So yeah, if we we're, we're uh, do you think Spiegelman um, changes uh, his father or himself in some way for the sake of the book, or do you think it's a relatively honest depiction that he gives across? Um. I felt that it was quite an honest depiction, um, in particular the way that Spiegelman depicts himself. Um, I think, uh, especially in the in the early parts, no, maybe not especially, but on the I think on the th- on, by the third chapter, um, if this is all um, to be taken as a as a, as a truthful depiction of his conversations and interviews with his dad, um, in the first couple of chapters, Art he is sat there and he's making notes about everything that his father's telling him but after a point he's recording it all so when it comes to kind of um how the conversation goes back and forth i do believe um i did believe how honest it all was um at least from that point on because you know he he had a (laughs) an audible um thing to reference and i feel like he probably was taking pretty vicious vicious notes as he was going in the early days but if uh the way I i find Art he is not an entirely likable mm. um, person. He's so I guess if you are if you are writing autobiography and the character of yourself is not is flawed and has and kind of is rude and short with his own father. Sometimes you kind of would lean on the side of it being truthful. He doesn't try and paint himself as a even as um what do you want to say like a impartial narrator. He is a character in the story, and part of that story is how him and his father interact with each other. And he often, when his father starts to sort of complain about his life, and particularly his new wife, who he remarried, um, Art often dis- dismisses it, tells him to stop talking about it, he's not interested in it, or just ignores it and moves and carries on with what he wants to talk about. He doesn't really engage with his father if it's not something that. Artie is willing to talk about it says at the beginning that he hasn't really visited his father very often they're not very close and he only really goes there to start talking about what happened to him during the war so there's already a sense of detachment there that he hasn't been the most present son and you would think the way that he does um, sort of dismiss his dad when they he complains about his new wife Mala he would maybe take her side but then when she does the same mm. thing they are not neither of them are happy when Mala complains to Artie about Vladik he again just goes anyway can we just talk about what I want to talk about please so he is very self-involved and 
to answer your question, um, yeah, if you're going to, if um, the way he depicts himself as being um, kind of flawed and self-involved, makes me think he probably is taking a look at himself as well as his father. And I know there's a there's a, a larger point later on when Art in the book actually sort of discusses how he is depicting his father mm. and whether he sh- whether he should remain true to it or whether he shouldn't. Yeah, that's that specific moment is something we, we yeah we've discussed. We we want to come back to later on because yeah, that's a really important moment. Um, I think yeah, you've really kind of hit the nail on the head of how I feel about his depiction of himself as flawed and self-involved, and this kind of comics um, autobiographical narrative as being um, uh, being flawed very much is part of the alternative comics tradition that the Spiegelman was a part of, along with other creators like Harvey Picar as well, who just give the, give across a strong sense that there is no point in doing autobiographical comics if you're going to hide the truth in some way, right? If you're, if you're talking about... Um, uh, something from your life, but you are trying to hide certain bits, then the art is a lie. And if the art is a lie in an autobiographical book, then why did you even bother to do it in the first place? Right? It's like, um, it's very concept is, uh, will fall in on itself like a house of cards. Mm. And the great example in this book, actually, I think, is when, um, we we cut from the the regular book of mouse to spiegelman's prisoner on the hell planet yeah, uh yeah. comic where um we later on there's a bit of a they have a bit of a falling out spiegelman and uh, and his father specifically on a point that you mentioned really which is that spiegelman is only there with his father because he wants something from him and what he wants from him is his is to uh almost cash in on his father's trauma right he he wants to better understand what his father has been through so that he can depict it and sell the book and he's he's going to his father's house only to learn the story and when his father says oh i think that's enough for today uh, Art says, okay, right, I'll see you later, and leaves the house. And when his father says, oh, I need your help fixing my drain pipe, Art's like, oh, dad, it's so early in the morning, like, I can't be bothered, you know, I've got other things, I've got my own things to do. But then when he needs something from him, which is his his story and his experiences, he's there to to use his father for his experiences. And the prisoner on the hell planet... Um, uh, comic is one um, uh, an, an old Spiegelman comic from the 70s I think um, where he's illustrating the story of his mother's suicide oh so is Prisoner and... on the Hell Planet actually something written by Spiegelman outside yes, of that's... Mouse yes oh. yeah 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 so that's one of his old comics that he's put in for reference within yeah within this one okay uh, yeah, about his about his mother's suicide and the I think it's like it was like ten years before Mouse this this book came out and the artistic style is completely completely different yeah um, but again 
in this book, uh, sorry, in uh, in this comic, Prisoner, um, Prisoner from the Hell Planet, he depicts his mother's suicide as being tragic for him. Yeah. Right. It's like his mother killed himself, and then the the last panel of the of the comic is him shouted, "You murdered me, mum." In this case, he says, "You murdered me, mummy," because it's a very um, uh, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. In there's that a lot book. to unpack in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible comic. But yeah, again, he's. It's not about how tragic it is that his mother died. It's about the, how tragic it is for him that his mother died, and it's that same kind of depiction of of self. Um, yeah, that I think's kind of uh, brutally. It is brutal. Yeah, because he's he's dressed in like prison stripes the entire time. Like it follows the story from um, when his mother killed herself to like um, finding, you know, trying to console his dad and seeing a therapist and the funeral and all of that. And the whole time he's in prison stripes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. How his his life has become uh, become a prison a prison of itself. Um, because at this point, I think he even mentions in the in the comic, Spiegelman had just come out. Um, from uh, treatment for a nervous breakdown. Then he comes out for the treatments for his own mental health issues, only to come back to his mother who has, has killed herself. Yeah. And um, there's a really great, a really great bit where uh, it said, a friend of the family found me out in the hall and Spiegelman's crying and this uh, this friend leans over and says, now you cry. Better you cried when your mother was still alive. And it's uh, yeah, that's harsh. It is. It is harsh. But then, the, as you're saying, the depictions of um, of himself in the prison uniform correspond with his father's experience as a prisoner of war, as uh, as a captive of the Germans themselves, and then later on, you know, the the introduction of the of Auschwitz and concentration camps like that. And even this this comic from 1972, there's a bit where he's listing the reasons for why his mother killed herself. And there's a big bit that says Hitler did it Yeah. across, across the, the, the panel. Hitler did it. Menopausal depression. Like, yeah. Trying to find reason behind something that mm. could be completely without it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a really, uh, yeah. Again, brutally honest. Yeah. Depiction of that experience. But you've got um, you've got some notes that you've made on on the book themselves. Yeah. So yeah, should we we can kind of work our way through your notes and the, the topics that you've made to uh, to bring up if you like. Um, I don't know really. Like, uh, my notes are often just to help me keep track of the story and the arcs between between the characters. Um, so, if we're talking about the that specifically around his mother's suicide, um it starts quite they sort of um start building that character arc of of uh, Artie's mum Anya um right from the beginning of um sort of Vladak's story of how you know what what happened to them during the war um with uh, her depression the postpartum depression that she had after um Artie's older brother who didn't make mm-hmm. it out of the war as a child um after he was born um and it has it's just kind of a strange i don't know if i'm just picking up on it now more in this time in my life but i thought it was interesting considering when this was written and published the 
the the the the the depictions and the representation of depression in this book um because we do follow the sort of a recurrence in Anya throughout the experience during the war which you could have expected just because they're in the middle of a war and they're Jews and under the boot of the Nazis yeah, yeah. um but her, yeah her depressive states do sort of return and we know from right from the beginning of the book in the present day quote unquote present day that she did end up killing herself um but she's put in a sanitarium right at the beginning which is a kind of a strange term to even come across these days mm. and um you know this is, seems to be the sort of time where if women were seen to be hysterical then that was kind of the, the diagnosis it's hysteria it's just something mm-hmm. that women get because they're weak and emotional um but to put that in here kind of seemed to be topical for the time but then vladik towards the end of the story towards the end of the book he brings up his own experience of depression and uh, an action that he took which um he regrets to this day and really pisses Artie off um, should we? It doesn't matter if we're jumping all around in the story. No, again, yeah, we're, we're not. We're not going through uh, going yeah. through the plot necessarily. Okay. But I think I think actually it's it's kind of good to bring up the 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 arc of um, Artie and, and Vladik and their relationship themselves because as we said, this is the this is volume one we're talking about, and the very end of the book um, is in a way is a novel follows a novel story arc there's a reason that this is the defining moment at the end of part one of the book because uh, like a movie it's a hard a hard emotional emotional moment it's kind of an almost an end of act two kind of moment right but we start off we start off the book as we were saying before uh, where um spiegelman is only really interested in his father as far as he can uh, get access to the trauma and to his father's story so he can illustrate it and sell it as a comic, right? His his interest in his father and his father's life doesn't really go much further than that. Um, he, he finds that his father is a nuisance. Um, general topics of conversation annoy him, thinks his father cares about annoy him. Uh, his relationship with his, his stepmom, he finds it, uh, he finds to be a nuisance. But over the course of the book and in understanding, really understanding his father's story and what his father went through, the two of them do become closer, noticeably closer. Their relationship improves the more that they understand each other. And f- the reason that the prisoner uh, on the Hell Planet uh, comic comes up is because his father, Vladik, finds this comic or is, is, he finds a copy of it and it's like, what the fuck is this in a way where it's kind of like, uh, what is this illustrated version of your mother's suicide? Yeah. He'd never read and, it before until he just stumbles yeah. across it amongst all of the crap that he's hoarded throughout mm. the years. Yeah. And it's, um, a really, a really powerful moment because Spiegelman expects his father to be angry about it, but instead they bond over that trauma of, losing his mother which for a moment this seems to be the first time like they clearly both miss Anya his his mother and Vladik's wife but when if the topic comes up it's just oh what was your life like with mum right it's not how did you process when she died or you know what did we do to 
console each other when when she died it was like uh we both they kind of just separated themselves but in reading when vladik reads that comic he begins to understand his son and his son has begun to understand his father through uh learning more about his his life and his experiences in in the holocaust mm. so at the end at the end of the book um we've reached a point where where vladik has has said, um, "Oh, um, your I can't find your mother's old diaries from from during that time." Um, you know, it's uh, the Spiegelman's like, "I have to read the diaries. I I have to read them because they'll tell Mum's side of the story." Mm. Um, yeah, and I'll let you go from your notes because you have a, a clear idea of, of what what you want to explore. Yeah, well, only that um, as I was saying about um, the the honesty around his parents' depression and various. The various times um anya had written diaries apparently during the war but they got lost they never made it out but she did write more diaries after they escaped which like you say art is really interested in reading because he th- it'd be great for his book again it'd be great for me i've got to have them he, he says it yeah. a lot a lot of times like oh i i need those i've got to see them and to, it's towards the end of the book where he brings it up for a third or fourth time to his dad and his dad says the same thing oh i've tried to look but i can't find them and eventually he kind of caves in and says okay i destroyed them mm. i what does he say about like i had a I, having, I was having a particularly bad day and i burned them and rt explodes and we hear that word again which i hadn't picked up on actually in the prison on the hell planet um but at this moment he explodes at his dad and calls him a murderer and which um, I thought was very dramatic at the time I was reading it, and I didn't make that connection to the comic, uh, the Hell Planet comic. And um, he kind of explodes, but then quickly comes back down and apologizes, like, I'm sorry. And just like he always does when he's kind of done for the day, he's mm-hmm. like, I need to leave. I'm just going to go. And again, like often, like, um, well, no, that's when uh, Vladik says, um, Listen, after the tragedy with your mother, I was so depressed then that. You know, I just did. I, I just did it, and, and I wish I hadn't. Uh, well, you get the feeling that he wishes he hadn't. Um, but again, RT is like, well, there's nothing here for me. Bye, Dad. Sorry. He does apologize, and goes, I, I should go. And Vladik says, why don't you stay for coffee? Which he often does after mm. he's finished talking for the days. So, why don't you stay for dinner? Stay for coffee. And RT always says, no, it's fine. I should go. Um, and he he seems to be apologetic and. Then, his dad's like, don't be a stranger. And he's like, yeah, okay, see you soon. And as he walks away, quietly under his breath, he repeats, murderer. And that was the mm. end of the book, Dom. Yeah. And I had no idea this was going to be a volume one of two. <laughs> and it ended at that I point. And I was like, secret. what? Where's the, where's the rest? Yeah, it's a really brutal moment because the book cuts between, um, between Vladik telling his story to Artie in the modern day, which was 1980, something like that. And then... Um, uh, Spielberg's illi- like representations of uh, the 30s and the 40s um, and so the last image that we see from the from the 40s um, in, the, in the entire first volume is the gates of Auschwitz Yeah, and we see the gates of Auschwitz and then the next thing he does is call his father a murderer and then walk away and it's like <sighs> Yeah, the, it's heavy. In it's, that last chapter, it really like the the tension really amps up, and you do feel like you're coming to some kind of crescendo. Mm. With um, 
uh, yeah, back in uh, the early forties with Vladik and Anya on the run and can't like constantly finding different places to hide and people are taking them in but not for very long and they have to go back and forth and back and forth and they finally think they're going to escape i think they pay someone to get them to hungary but one of these smugglers ends up ends up turning them into the gestapo and then they get carted off to auschwitz and i'm thinking jesus this is what's going to happen now and all we get is yeah the, the panels of the, the modern day of vladik saying they took us off the train they sent the men one way the women the other way so I thought I did we me and your mother didn't know if we'd ever see each other again and yeah then it gets to Artie going oh man I wish I had those diaries and then as we've mm-hmm. as we've explained and then it ends it's like all this build up and all of this depiction of the horrors of the holocaust and Auschwitz mm-hmm. is kind of the 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 flagship of of holocaust history and we yeah. that's the word that we all always know um, but yeah, then the book doesn't take us there. Does it take us there in the next one? Yes, yeah, yeah, very much, yeah. Okay. But that's what I think is really, really interesting about this first volume, is that it's clearly going to be um, uh, a biography of of uh, what a man's experience during the Holocaust. But the book is in no rush to get you to that point, you know, to the point where the... the to the bit with the way you know what happens in that way, right? Once yeah. they get to Auschwitz, we have a very clear historical understanding of, a well-documented understanding of what this is going to mean. And the characters but, reference it in the book all the time as well. Just, yeah. But then just in the terms, again, terms that we know, like the ovens and the gas mm. and, mm. and and of course, and you know, when they mention other people that have been there, then it, they end that story with, and of course we didn't see them again. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think one of the things that, as, as Spiegelman himself actually says, his father says, I don't think anybody's going to be interested in my time in Poland, like before the Germans invaded. Like all, all I did was have a textiles factory. And like a very that, clingy Nobody's going to want to read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to want to read yeah, about Lucia. Lucia, um, yeah. yeah. Which again, like, like not... talking about, quickly, sorry, um, while I, that... Um, talking about Artie only being there to talk to his dad because he can get something out of it. Mm. His dad does tell him about Lucia, the girlfriend he had before he met Artie's mum. And, but then after the end of that, he goes, don't put that in your book though. And Artie's yeah. like, well, why? And he's like, well, it wouldn't be respectful. It's not the proper thing. It's mm. not interesting. And Artie's like, yeah, but it'd be great for the book. And he ends up promising not to put Lucia into the book. And obviously he does. Yeah. Yeah. We're reading him say that he won't put her in there. Yeah. Which is, yeah really yeah god it's just such a good book <laughs> it's, it's just such a brilliant book um yeah i mean i can i was it's just, it was a strange thing for me to read about because like i said earlier i was really just engaged in the story and as mm-hmm. you said we all know about the holocaust and about auschwitz but i wouldn't say that i you know regularly delve into it mm-hmm. so not not on a friday night not it's not it's not great friday night no. entertainment but the book it was and is mm-hmm. um but reading it through like it kind of i kept getting taken aback because you mentioned about the anthropomorphization of the characters but that didn't remove any of the humanity or the the reality of it for me there are moments yes, in the yeah, book that that's... really like kind of shocked me not because i didn't know these things were happening but you just you kind of go oh shit yeah of course and like, the most brutal one springs to my mind is when uh they're talking about i don't know if it's actually in auschwitz or 
in another kind of uh, labor camp or something where the children are, have been separated from their parents and are screaming and to stop the kids from screaming german officers would grab them by the ankles and swing them against a wall mm. and i was like shit yeah. like i had to kind of pause for a moment and be like jesus christ like that that take again takes you out of this being a comic or a graphic novel or mice and cats so at that point mm. you go this is this happened yeah 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 i'm as i'm tearing up yeah now just as just talking i like it's, it's heinous fucking, and there are all yeah, the, the, the yeah. references to ovens and stuff as well like because they don't they never say, they describe what happens, but you know, you just your mind takes you to a visual place, and you go, Jesus! Like thousands upon thousands mm-hmm. at a time into an ov- into ovens. Yeah, it's all. And maybe we sound naive talking about talking about this as if and, be, and being shocked at how despicable it all was when we no, all but, know it happened. But this book really yeah. just brings it back to the forefront of your mind. Yes, and this is one of the the fundamental arguments about mouse in general is. Because it is a comic, in comparison to a regular film, Spiegelman can depict these characters as animals in, in the way that he does, which you couldn't you couldn't write a novel when going, and then they were mice. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, it's not Redwall, the Redwall series or, or something like that, you know. Um, if this is the only medium that you could do it. Like you couldn't really do it in an animated movie unless it was an adaptation of Mouse. Yeah. Um, but one of the arguments that was made against Mouse, especially by by Spiegelman's contemporaries like like Harvey Pekar, was you are softening the horrific reality of the Holocaust by refusing to depict it as it was. Right. It's you're trying to tell the truth of of that reality but by changing it and making it more accessible for people you are presenting a false narrative right you're presenting a cleaner narrative because you are unwilling to show the the depths of the depravity basically you're you've turned them into these animals so you can smooth the edges of of the holocaust and i think there is an element of truth to that but as we see with the prisoner from the hell planet comic you couldn't read 300 pages of that no Right, like you, your your mind wouldn't take it. Your like the 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 reality of his emotion in Prisoner of the Hell Planet is so strong that you it would be impossible to to do. And I think one of the things this book does absolute does perfectly, like spot on, is to balance the heart wrenching tragedy that that happened whilst also being hilarious right which we've spoken about like how horrible it all is but the book is also really fucking funny and because it has those comedic moments especially most of them in the modern day um but the way that the vladik himself acts and the way that artie reacts to his father um because it's it's presented in a way that is humorous you really care about these characters 
and you engage with them emotionally so that when the the horrific stuff does happen um it hasn't smoothed the edges for for me at least it hasn't smoothed the edges as much as it has allowed me to be in the work to be in the book right if i read prisoner of the uh, prisoner on a hell planet the first thing i want to do is get away from it yeah. right because it's a guttural reaction but mouse absorbs you into it and then once you're trapped in the characters and the 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 family relationship and the the humor of the book it's like here's what hap- here's what happens um i don't know yeah i don't know what you thought about that the way that he depicts his the characters in that way yeah no i i agree with you and i think he speaking when he even says it in mouse where he goes to see his um Artie goes to see his dad and and Mallow and he brings some a few early pages and Vladek and Mala kind of break an argument which they they're always having um called the kind of sandwich an argument they in between that with them looking at Artie's pages and they both agree that this is an important thing and Mal the character of Mala says it's an important book people who don't usually read such stories will be interested so it's exactly mm. like what you said like you might not want to read 300 pages of very visceral, lifelike, black and white drawings about someone's dealing with their mother's suicide or about the Holocaust. But you do get engaged in into these characters and then you do feel compelled to read on and read on. And if, say, you hadn't really paid much attention to this to history, you could get through Mouse and by the end you go, I, now I have an understanding about this awful period in human history that i wouldn't have done otherwise because maybe i'm not interested in history or it's hard for, to deal with hard to, thing to read yeah. so, so yeah in the, making those choices i think spiegelman has actually um opened up this part of history to a, a whole wider audience than might otherwise have not paid any attention yeah yeah i think God, yeah, it's, it's, it gets to a point where it's difficult to talk about because the book is having such a difficult time balancing its subject matter and it being written and narrated by Spiegelman himself. Because one of the big questions is, why is art in the book at all? Right. Why is why are we seeing his conversations with his father as well as the flashback to why is it not just this is the story that my father told me and then he tells his father's story. Right. Why do we get to see that 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 um, back and forth between the the present and and the past? Um, Uh, That's a good question. (laughs) Yeah. Do you do you have an answer? Do you have a theory? No, I know. I was gonna. uh, What I was gonna ask you was how much do you think the father and son depiction enhances the rest of the book, right? Because uh, we're here to talk about the daddy issues element of it, obviously. But do you think that their relationship is vital to the rest of the book, or if you just removed the pages and panels? of them discussing if the book would still work in in its own way. Um, I think it does. It certainly helps with the readability of it. Not only just to give it, give it some context um, and we can talk about, you know, why maybe it has value to show the modern days, you know, half of it too, like life of pie, you know, I keep thinking mm-hmm. about other examples where 
the film or the book is about someone being told the story of the film and the, and the book at the end you know um so as well as giving it context that helps but then in terms of readability and like you were saying about prisoner on the hell planet it kind of divides up the horrors of the auschwitz with a little bit of a palate cleanser mm. although what's happening with Artie and vladik and Mallow is not particularly or overly positive it kind of just gives you a bit of a break and instead of fearing for people's lives and being reminded of a genocide you're instead engaging in a kind of mike lee kitchen sink drama kind of thing which is a which is completely different. It's almost like telling two stories mm-hmm. at once. So I guess you could argue that you don't need to tell two stories at once. But then I, I almost feel like if it were, if you removed all of the present day part of the of the book, I would find it harder to understand why he did them as mice and cats and pigs. Mm. So at that point, it is just a story about people surviving Auschwitz, and you kind of almost it's harder to engage with the characters. And I suppose, obviously this is not super contemporary to us now. I think it was just published in 1980 or something. Although the final thing was like 1991, wasn't it? The full graphic novel. Forgive me, Spiegelman, for using the term. Yeah, I think he's accepted it now. Is he accepted it now? You're right. So we're not so far in the future that we can't relate to how people lived 20 years ago or 40 years ago. So we're kind of drawn in the the book opens in the modern day and you're kind of getting to know these people and it gradually goes we're going to talk about the holocaust now so if you want to come in we're going this Mm. way it doesn't it's not like page one bam nazis and stuff Mm. so yeah i think maybe it just is another element of uh i want to say softening the story but i don't mean that in a uh in a disrespectful way Mm-hmm. softening it in a way that does make it palatable it makes it more uh yeah emotionally accessible i think yes. you you, yeah. you you don't you don't run away from the book because it's too hard to read it is hard to read uh, for sure at, at points yeah but yeah you're you're um you want to be you want to be in the book you want to keep reading yeah, if anything it adds a, a whole other dimension too because we are following, um, we do follow Vladek and Anya during, during the Holocaust, and we care about them, and you know we're drawn into the drama of their lives, mm. and we're also drawn into the more domestic drama of the modern day family unit. So it's kind of giving us two for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think you're you're definitely right, and the that kitchen sink element does make it all the more horrific as well because this is just his experience that he's telling to his son while he's on the cycling machine yeah you know or they're walking to the bank and he's talking about how they were having to hide in a coal you know in a coal shelter or yeah. in somebody's basement and yeah, starving the husband sharing yeah. space with rats and yeah yeah, yeah 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 now while i'm here quick i need to take my medication like like this kind of you know this kind of thing mm. and yeah it's all it's all presented as so matter of fact by vladik because it's just it's his life it's not presented like a saving private ryan um hollywood-esque depiction like the pianist 
right? Where it's these big, wide, epic um, views of of how terrible it is. It's very zoomed in, very focused. It's you know, it's this man's life and this man's story that you're following, yeah. Rather than yeah. Yeah, it's interesting Rather you, than a, you yeah. say it like that because I was just thinking about the part in the book where I think it's one one of the last times, if not the last time, that Artie goes round to see his dad to talk about um, his story and he first sees Mala, his stepmom, crying at the table and they start talking mm. about Vladik and um, talking about how stingy he is. Yeah. And um yeah, we we should say when we're talking about this part of the book, it's using Spiegelman's words that we're bringing the where he's talking about his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Mala's g- giving him stories about how, like, when they first got married, she needed more clothes, and mm. instead of buying her new clothes, Vladik was like, "Well, here's my dead wife's wardrobe. You can just have all that." Yeah. And she was like, yeah. "I'm not going to wear your dead wife's clothes," and he can't understand why. And I think mm. Mala says, like, sometimes I think he only married me because I'm the same size as Anya. And if, yeah. so therefore he wouldn't have to buy her any more stuff. And um, Artie kind of uh, empathizes and sympathizes with her and says, that, well, he always was kind of pragmatic. Mm. <laughs> she laughs at yes. the word pragmatic. Like, no, he's just cheap. But um, yeah. Artie poses the question, like, I, I've often wondered, because he's always been this way, I've often wondered if it was the war who made that made him this way mm. or or not and Mala says we had friends who made it through Auschwitz and yeah she he, said she, she says I went to the camps yeah and she I was didn't there too end up, yeah yeah I didn't end like, up like him yeah, yeah she didn't end up like him and they have friends who went through the same thing and, but she said there was only one Vladik mm. so in terms of uh what you're saying about whether this um represents the wider story of the Auschwitz or the wider story of Polish Jews or the wider story of Jewish immigrants to the United States, they do kind of make a point of going, this is about one guy. And this yeah. is where Artie kind of gets a little bit torn about his depiction of his dad and about mm. whether he his dad seems like a racist caricature of a was it a miserly Jew? I think he, he says a miserly. Yeah, in some yeah. ways, he's just the racist caricature of a miserly old Jew. And his stepmom says, "Ha, you could say that again." Yeah, You're right. And it's like uh, that seems to be. And then the next thing uh, Artie says is, "I'm trying to portray my father accurately." Right, and it's this this constant balance, and uh, that's one of the things that I found really interesting. Actually, is the way he portrays his father in the past is much more generous than the way he portrays him in the present. And granted, that's because he's going through his father's own depiction of um, what his life was like, right? So he's using his his father's own words to to portray himself in that way. But he, you never see a moment where he really uh, criticises his father as he was in Poland before the Holocaust. Mm. It's only the the man that he has become now and the man that Artie knows rather than the, whoever he was before the camps who was a, essentially a different person, right? Was a, was a, a, a man with money, with a, a, with a loving family, with a, a different son, um, with community that was all lost and wiped away. And so you do get two different pic- depictions of Vladek. Mm. Um, one of them is this 
person he's trying to show is not a racist caricature, whilst also having to present him as the man that he is. Um, and then, yeah, that who he was bef- before he lost everything. Um, yeah, yeah, all, get, all those he, years ago. Yeah, because during the 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 Holocaust, he uh, Vladimir has to make all of these choices, and mm-hmm. they, you know, just because then the nature of the world they were living in, they often resulted in family being taken away, friends being taken away, people dying, not because of, as a direct result of his choices, it's because it was going to happen. But it's always yeah. he's often the proactive force. Um, there, yeah, there are moments where he's he is uh, he, he's, he goes in and out of work camps, and there's a time when he's out of them, and him and Anya are living with Anya's parents, who are very well off. Um, they're still restricted in what they can buy and everything, but um, you know they're at least all together, and they're talking about their businesses are being taken away from them, and Vladek's really panicking about money and what they're going to do and the rest of the family are just like well let's just stay here and play cards so yeah. he he takes the proactive stance of trying to get around the nazis and starts dealing with other jews in the black market like without the food coupons and rations that they've all been given so he it's kind of it's always him pulling them along mm-hmm. and narrowly avoiding disaster but those margins get narrower and narrower when you know Anya's parents eventually get taken away and her grandparents and they have to send their own son away to protect mm-hmm. him and then he doesn't make it either. So he just... But he never... At no point during the the story of during the war does Vladek break down. He never really seems to... The weight of everything never really shows on him. Mm-hmm. Everything he's doing... Yeah, there's the only moment, the only moment where that does happen is um, when some people that he was trading with are caught and and hanged and yeah. he says he didn't he didn't leave the house for three days or something like that afterwards because yeah, he was afraid because he was something yeah, because, same thing would happen yeah. to him yeah that yeah. that's another one of those moments that it happens before the mo- the re- the really brutal moment that I mentioned earlier about the kids being smashed against the wall mm-hmm. um, but this is kind of a lot of that's what I- it's like the introduction to what's to come. Yeah, it just right? reminds because, you yeah. of where of where you are because it's it's kind of it doesn't have the pacing of kind of like an adventure story. It's not no. exciting, even though they are on the run, they are d- duck, ducking and dodging the Nazis. It it is kind of a slow burn. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not really an adrenaline fueled thing, but you are you know you are just following the Jew characters and the families centrally. But then yeah, it's just a bit of a reminder of. Oh yeah, by the way, outside of the family, people are getting hung, people are being taken away. And yeah. uh, it, it, but I've only just this is and this particular few panels really made me think of um the film that I mentioned to you that I've watched recently, Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. And if anyone doesn't know Jojo Rabbit is a film from a year or two ago by Taika Waititi that's set during Germany and during the Second World War and follows a young boy who is part of the very enthusiastically part of the Hitler youth but gradually yeah. starts to see that this is not kind of um they aren't the good guys essentially mm-hmm. but um being a taika watiti film it is quite light-hearted and i found it very very funny um the way it takes the mick out of the nazis and everything but then it does show a fairly accurate depiction of life under nazi rule in germany um and there i won't spoil it for anyone but there is a moment where uh, one of the principal characters um 
ends up in just like these panels and particularly these panels of people being hung and all you can see is their feet mm. and this character is identified only by their shoes because we've seen them wearing those particular shoes the whole time and you've been watching this film you've been laughing people are being silly there's amusing very amusing characters um, yeah. Isn't Hitler fun to to laugh at? To laugh like, at, yeah. Like and Taika Waititi yeah. plays um, an, the imaginary best friend of the main boy in it, who yeah. is Hitler, and his his depiction of Hitler is very funny. And there's a bit of a like a romance subplot, and then bam, it hits you. This someone has been hung. Like the, the, this is a, a main character, and suddenly you're reminded, oh yeah, we're dealing with Nazis here. Oh yeah, yeah we're dealing with the Holocaust here, and it completely just takes your feet out from under you. And th- this scene is in the book, not quite as affecting because none of the people that are being hung are characters we know. But again, it's just that sudden, sudden reminder of the consequences and the stakes here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this kind of leads us over to something that again I mentioned off pod and wanted to bring up slightly which was um, the, the documentary The Problem with Apu, which um, was the, the documentary about um, how the Simpsons character of Apu had affected um, Indian Americans who uh, were raised with this being essentially the predominant Indian character on television. And uh, they would go to school and um, the the insensitive racial remarks that would be made towards them would often be Apu-based because he was the cultural touchstone of what an um, an Indian uh, an Indian living in America was like. And so while you get comparisons to say, um, like, uh, oh, well, Fat Tony being, you know, he's an Italian-American stereotype, right? When they created Springfield, the idea was that every single character within Springfield is a stereotype of their own. Right, so you have like uh, Chief Wiggum is the the fat stereotyped police officer. Um, then yeah, uh, Fat Tony is the stereotypical Italian American mob mob boss. Groundskeeper Willie is a, a pretty hardcore Scottish stereotype. Yeah. Um, and Apu Apu is an an Indian stereotype of an immigrant who has come over to America and. Uh, and is doing a working class job to you know to get by, but has greater ambitions for for their children. Um, uh, obviously, being uh, being voiced by by Hank Azaria, a, a white uh, a white actor, but the documentary kind of explored how this character has influenced um, the Indian comedian who who writes and, and and leads the documentary. And I was really interested in the documentary at the time because. I wanted to understand more of how different Indian groups within America felt about it because uh, it's it's very it's presented from the view of the person who's who's writing it and narrating it and it's um, I wanted to have a better understanding of what it meant to different level of immigrants because Apu is an Indian stereotype of a specific generation that moved from India to America, right? The, the comic who makes the, the, the documentary has not gone through the same... He's a second-generation immigrant, right? So Apu isn't a stereotype of him. It's a stereotype of his parents' generation. And in reading what 
how what different Indian Americans were saying about it, younger people of the the comics generation, sorry, the comedians, the, the narrators generation, agreed with him, right? And felt that Apu was a character that needed to be changed because it remains harmful and depicts a stereotype that no longer exists, right? And it's being voiced by a white character, by a white actor. So it continues to be a racially insensitive stereotype in a time where we should be really kind of changing, changing our view on these things. Whereas the older people that he was actually created as a stereotype for in 1988 or whenever, 1989, whenever Apu was made, felt that um, this was a minor inconvenience in terms of racism, right? Like Indian Indian Americans were uh, and minorities in America were facing far greater uh, racial injustice than thank you, come again, right? Like, like, is this really the thing that you want to get hung up on? And the the bit that really interested me and connects into Mouse is that they accused the... Uh, the person who made the documentary, of being ashamed of his parents' generation. And this is something that I've spoken to a lot with um, Chinese uh, with Chinese people, because I've, I've lived, lived in China and stuff. I don't really need to get to that. But the way that Chinese people think about Chinese Americans... Right. And the way that Chinese the way that they see Chinese Americans talk about China and those discussions would uh, would revolve around Chinese Americans. The way this is the way that Chinese people think about Chinese Americans, right, is they are Chinese in so much as they like Chinese food and will wear Chinese clothes on holidays. And that's it. Right. Other than that, they are ashamed Chinese people feel that Chinese Americans are ashamed of China, of China as a culture, right? And that's what these these um, Indian, these older Indian immigrants were saying about um, were saying about this documentary, was it's not just that people were horrible to you when you were a kid; it's that you are you feel a sense of shame of how your parents' generation were being depicted, right? You are ashamed of the first generation because you are because they were Indian and you are Indian American. Right? You are as, as a second generation, you are you have a different cultural backdrop to those other people and there is a sense of shame that you attach to that form of of um immigration. And I don't know if that's true. Right. Uh, I, I don't want to speak for, for for either party. But for me, this when I read Mouse, it connects to what I read about that in the way that Artie depicts his father because Artie Spiegelman is American. Right. He is he's a, a Jewish. Uh, he's Jewish by culture, but he doesn't show himself as being religious. Um, he doesn't seem to have any connection or knowledge of the Holocaust other than the cultural knowledge that's been passed on to him. He doesn't know his father's story. Um, and he it has a sense of shame of his father as an immigrant, right? When they talk, they don't talk in Polish or they don't talk in, in Hebrew. They 
talk specifically in English, and Spiegelman writes in his father's broken English. He doesn't try and edit his father's English. He depicts it as he said it, which is broken and full of grammar mistakes, to highlight the fact that his father is different from him. And he is not an... His father has not assimilated into America in the same way that, that Spiegelman is clearly a, a, a second... You know, he's an American. He's not, you know, a Polish... He was born in America. No, no, I think he was born actually in Scandinavia as his parents fled over to... Well, moved over to America after the war. Um, but I don't know how much you you feel that set I don't know if you that's something you picked up on in general the way that Spiegelman is almost embarrassed by his by his father and how different his father is to him does that make sense it makes sense yeah I can yeah I can see that now I, I didn't pick up on it at the time as while reading on reading I really enjoyed um the fact that um, Vladik was written in broken English because it it gave him a voice, and I read it yeah. in his voice because the you know the English is all uh, muddled up and and broken, and it was another way of um, individualizing him because he's the only one in the in the least in, in the modern day story that speaks that way, and I I liked how because we, we because we have um, you know grown old Vladik's voice now resonant in our minds when we go back in time to the story of the Holocaust it's everyone speaks like that because it's Vladik telling Artie the story mm. so I'm reading um, all the voices of uh, the characters back in the 40s and 30s in Vladik's voice because he's the one telling their story They're, it, so it almost actually kind of um, makes maybe you could you could argue that that puts up a bit of a barrier in really empathizing with the characters in the past because you're not getting you're not getting their own voices or maybe people read it differently than i did um but yeah i certainly read it in the in maybe a quite a cinematic way where uh, uh you know it's almost i'm almost reading it in voiceover with vladik doing playing all the characters mm. um but I can certainly see where you're coming from in terms of a second generation immigrant's um, feelings around their their parents. Um, I don't know if I got a sense that he was embarrassed of him, but we do know that Artie has not is not been close with his dad since he's been an adult. So he's certainly not close, and he certainly doesn't make an excuse any excuses for him. I think this is something we see more of in the second the second book as well. Because obviously in the second book, we get more time with them in the present day as well. And there's a very specific moment without wanting to go too much into it, because when we eventually do the second one, we'll talk about it. But there's a moment where Vladik is with uh, Francois, which is uh, uh, Spiegelman's French uh, French wife. And... Um, We'll, we'll definitely get into a big discussion on, on her in, in the next one. She only pops up in one or two pages in, on this one. But um, Francois is driving Vladek and they see uh, an African-American on the road. And Francois stops to, to help, you know, to pick... He's like a hitchhiker, so she stops to pick him up. And Vladek is, is racist. 
and it's like, well, what if he tries to rob us or something like that, right? Yeah, because there's a bit actually in this where he mentions about Anya's boyfriend before, because we we know that Vladik had a girlfriend before, um, Mm -hmm. but then um, Vladik mentions that Anya's boyfriend before was a communist, and he's like, ah, I don't, I don't hang around with communists. So yeah, that, he says she was a good girl and stopped seeing him after I like. Yeah, because like, I, I said if uh, the marriage is not going to happen if you continue with this, these are shenanigans. Um, yeah, yeah, and she, yeah, gives up on on that. Cause she was like helping the communists, um, sort of underhandedly. I'm not sure on the history of it, but she has to kind of secretly help the communists she's in like Poland in the 1930s. She's like translating documents into German. Into German, yeah, yeah. she's a fluent yeah. German speaker, and yeah, and when she's about to get busted so she hands all her documents off to a friend and then she gets in the ship for it and spends like three months in jail Mm. um (laughs) to save anya from from prison and then anya just gives up on that life because vladik doesn't like communists yeah that's one of my favorite i put that on that bit on instagram yesterday actually i on my instagram stories i took a picture of those two panels because that was one of my distinctive memories from the first time i read this book it's brilliantly shown and it's um the two of them that sat there and panel one uh, is, the, uh, is Artie and, and Vladek sat across the table from each other, uh, drinking some coffee. And, um, uh, and Spiegelman says, about mum, did she have any boyfriends before she met you? And um, uh, Vladek replies, not romantic one, but one tall boy from Warsaw, zoom in on the second panel. He was a communist. Yeah, <laughs> this like, like, ew. Yeah, yeah, it's a great dramatic comedic uh, switch where it's like the worst thing this guy could possibly have been. Um, it's real like darkly comic though because we're talking about yeah. the Holocaust and a Jew who survived the Holocaust and yet he has bigotry in his heart. He has well, yeah, hatred yeah, yeah, of, a, yeah. of, an, of another group just based on their lifestyle. Is that life, yeah. is lifestyle the right word well, for a ideology. I don't know. Ideology. Yeah. Let's go with ideology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I think that's that, that's really true. But it's a great, yeah, it's a, a great moment. And um, again, is Spiegelman showing his father honestly, but at the same time yeah. making light light of it, taking a comic beat for it as well to show to almost highlighting. You know, this is kind of. Isn't this, this ironic? Is kind of yeah, that's yeah. kind of what but we do for our grandparents, though, isn't it? If our, if our grandparents say something a little bit, um, you know, off color or inappropriate, something you shouldn't yeah. really say anymore, we yeah. all go, "Well, you know, they're old; they're from a different time, or whatever." Yeah, yeah. Um, like my he's nan- even counting his heart medication pills. Yeah, while yeah, he's saying just that to that, accentuate yeah. the fact that he's old, and mm. yeah, if, whether if that is a if that's a truthful verbatim conversation. Um, then it's yeah, kind of it's it is funny that he's an old man counting pills who then rail, rails against the communists. Um, but yeah, certainly if it was being written or or uh, exaggerated, say for comic effect, that, that's that's a good, it's a good um, good. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? It just supports supports the mm. joke. Yeah, but I think again, that's a, a generational one of the big themes of the book i think is generational gaps and it, it does kind of link back to that problem with that thing i was kind of mentioning is that he highlights when his father says that because the very exclamation he was a communist seems absurd to to Artie, right he seemed like it as we're saying it's kind of a ridiculous thing for vladik to say but to vladik it's completely serious 
right? Like they, he's he's not trying to make a joke here, but it's this generational change, old world, new world kind of jump yeah. um, between them where like being a communist to, to, to Vladik is an incredibly serious thing. Meanwhile, Spiegelman himself was a um, uh, a hippie, left wing, alternative, you know, pot smoking, you know, Artist, kind of yeah. kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was maybe not a communist, but more along those, um, you know, the, that kind of um, of that ilk. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, um, I think, yeah, it's another another point of him highlighting. Uh, not that his father is embarrassing necessarily, although I think it it is part of that, um, but just that he's absurd in his own way. Yeah. Right. And the yeah, he is quite absurd in like in his hoarding and his, mm. like w- with him counting his pills very methodically, mm. and we later on see him like separating up his nails into long and short yeah. ones. It's like that is kind of a strangely absurd thing to be spending your time on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we wanted to keep this uh, this episode relatively shorter than our previous two hour epics. We've done a <laughs> we've done a, a, a pretty good conversation on here uh, so far. Is there anything else about the book or about Vladik and Artie specifically that you wanted to to highlight or bring up? Um, no, not really. Anything about the two of them? No, I think we've I've covered a lot of what what I I wanted to bring up. Um, mm. No, only really like an, an artistic observation, like a particular mm-hmm. part of it that I really enjoyed, where um, it's fairly near the beginning of the book, in the I think it's in the third chapter, Prisoner of War, where um, they are in a prison camp, like a work camp, and Vladik has a sort of a dream where his dead grandfather comes to him and, and almost gives him a prophecy that they'll be free on this particular day in the Jewish calendar, what do they, what do they call it? Parshas Truma, which yeah, is uh, yeah. a Parshas is when they would get together and read from the Torah every week. But then on one week of the year, this particular one um, is the Parshas Truma. And yeah, the grandfather in his dream says, you'll walk out of here free on Parshas Truma. Um, and it turns out to be true, but, or you know, terms to it seems to come to fruition, but it's just that the panel, the artwork on that panel, really like struck me of um, of Vladik sleeping, and then this uh, embodiment of his grandfather, almost in in terms of scale, he's like this um, looming. He's figure, looming. Right? He's huge in comparison, mm. and a big hand comes down over Vladik's chest, um, mm. and it just it's just very very striking, and something about the way it's drawn gives it a very dreamlike scope even though the, the artwork in this never goes very abstract mm. uh, this is probably the most abstract moment that i can remember in it but um yeah i just wanted to shout out that that panel because i thought that was really cool yeah 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 what what a book in general like uh it's <laughs> it, you know it's, well, it's great yeah and you, I, with um it made me think, uh, yeah, because I, I did watch Jojo Rabbit recently, and it drew another comparison in my mind in that it this uh, both Mouse and Jojo Rabbit are kind of depicting um, the, some truth, especially in Mouse's case, depicting truth about this horrific time in history, in a perhaps uh, in a 
medium that you wouldn't normally expect to find heavy hitting historical commentary. So a Taika Waititi film we're expecting to be funny and and weird and quirky, which it is, but then it doesn't shy away from the 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 harsh stuff. And um, so you might be maybe you go into it thinking it's going to be a fun romp about an imaginary Hitler, um, and which is actually kind of a small part of the film and the truth of the uh, of history is actually the, the the main the main crux of it and similarly to mouse where you don't expect to read a comic book about anim, you know animalist uh, anthropomorphized animal human hybrids to be very uh, affecting and moving and to kind of open your eyes to facts of history that people would maybe rather not read about and rather forget yeah yeah, and this kind of leads us into our, our next segment, which is the um, uh, how much of it do you see, uh, how much of you and your father do you see in, in this moment? But as a final point, I think the genius of making it a biography rather than a, just a well-researched novelization, essentially, is... Uh, is what sets this book apart from from everything else, um, from every other kind of uh, competitor that the, the mouse may have, um, because it's so personal. And um, even going to the point of talking about his mother's suicide, which is takes place after the Holocaust, right? It's not connected in um, as a historical event that happened during the Holocaust. Um, but the book doesn't hide away from the impact, the after effects, the generational trauma, which is a big part of the book as well. Like, how has Spiegelman himself been affected by the trauma of um, of his own parents? And one thing that we haven't we haven't brought up is the death of his older brother, who he never met, um, who would have been like ten. No, more than 10 years older than Spiegelman. I think Spiegelman... No, maybe around 10 years. Spiegelman was born in 1948, I think. Yeah. So his older, his older brother was born in the late 30s. Yeah, because he, he's, he's young. He's still like three or four yeah. when they send yeah. him away at the beginning of the 40s, yeah. Yeah, but... Vladik talks about the son that he lost in the highest regard and says how he was such a happy boy. It was such a shame that he died because he was such a happy boy, but he has an idealized version of the son that he lost with, um, a more strained relationship with the son that he has. And I think that's something that really comes across in the, in the book. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get into the, uh, David, Brian, how much of your relationship with your father or father figures did you see within the first volume of Mouse so far? This made me think about um, what you spoke about with The Shining. And we maybe we've had similar, um, found similar parallels and other things we've spoken about. But this is one where I felt the spotlight was not so much on um in my yeah not so much on my father but on me mm-hmm. like i i didn't see 
an awful lot of my father in Vladik, but then I did see bits of myself in Artie. Um, and a bit like, again, with you in The Shining, they weren't necessarily good things. Um, there were... There are... Uh, Artie makes a point when he's talking to his wife about differences that he had, like things that have always caused him and his dad to butt heads. I think in, in Mouse, it's that um, he... Artie always hated doing like fixing stuff around the house with his dad because his dad made a point of pointing out how he was doing everything wrong and how his and Vlad how he himself Vladik was really good at this stuff and Artie wasn't and that maybe it was a reason why Artie went into the arts because he, there was no nothing he couldn't comp- his dad couldn't compete with him on that he would be completely independent of him and yeah so there there's parts of that that I I could relate to and and in the kind of the way that Artie is quite dismissive or completely ignores um, like uh, uh, combative conversations. When uh, ever his dad or his stepmom starts to complain about the other, he's not interested in engaging with that. He's not interested in like listening to them talk or offering them any advice. He's kind of just, I think when he talks to his stepmom once, he kind of maybe offers a couple of monosyllabic <laughs> retorts but he was really not interested in sitting down and talking about that. He's only interested in talking about what he's interested in. And I do, I see that in myself sometimes in my own kind of like, uh, uh, in, uh, inability to deal with emotional, uh, conversations or, uh, conflict. Um, and it did kind of shine a light on me in a way that I haven't really felt in reading a book since I read Catcher in the Rye. And, I remember reading the whole book thinking Holden or whatever the main character's name mm-hmm. really not liking him like disliking all of his decisions and all of his elitism and how um yeah, how much he's, how, a dick. he's such yeah. a dick and then yeah. I got to the end of the book and he kind of he gets a bit more three-dimensional and you see a bit more of his the truth of him and and suddenly I was like oh I get him now and he's kind of like me mm-hmm. so and, and that was kind of a that kind of put me in my place and as not not to such an extent in mouse but yeah i felt a little bit put in my place of seeing a character who i was judging for his behavior and then but then also empathizing with with him in the same way mm. in the same at the same time yeah that's what makes these books classics right and what allows them to live on is is having those those kinds of connections yeah yeah i think for my part um I don't see either of my father figures in that relationship. And I think part of that, again, is because the book is so focused around generational differences. I don't think, at least within within my family, there is that much of an ideological difference between our generations, um, between my between my generation and uh, my, my father and my, my stepfather. Um, Um, I've noticed more of them recently than than I thought there were before, but there aren't many issues that come up where I'm like, oh, we just have a completely different view of the world. Um, the bigger connection, I think, is between my father and my grandfather, which would be... No- uh, Spiegelman's a, a few years younger than my grandfather, 
I think, eight years younger than my grandfather. But Spiegelman seems much closer to my dad than he does my granddad, generationally. And I think uh, my granddad seems is reasonably close to Vladek in, in his uh, generational outlook and behaviours. And I think part of that is those people who lived through the war and whose early lives were so heavily influenced by the war. Because one of the things I talk about with my grandfather is him living outside of London and watching the V2 rockets fly over his head as they're, you know, they're going to, to land in during the Blitz. Wow. And, you know, all those memories of ration books and the Italian prisoner of war camp that was, you know, just down the street, my great-grandmother flirting with Italian prisoners of war and, <laughs> um, then, and this kind of stuff. And then there's the generation that comes after the war who didn't live through it, who didn't feel its effects, and who would go on to either fight in Vietnam or protest against fighting in Vietnam, which their parents' generation couldn't understand. Because they'd fought, they'd been through the war, through World War Two. they'd served their country, they'd done their time, and now their children's generation doesn't want to go and fight? Like, we did our part, what the, you know, what the fuck are you doing saying peace and love, man? What's that all about? Um, and I think Spiegelman, although he was only born eight years after my father, is much more in line with my dad, who was born in 1965. Yeah. Right, like almost 20 years later, whereas my grandfather is much more in line with Vladik, who was born in like 1918 or something. And my, my, you yeah, know. 1902, I think, or something like that. He's quite a bit older. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. I think uh, Mala, I think, was, yeah, was, was born a little bit, a little bit later. But yeah, it's those generational differences are very clear, at least as I see them in my family, with between my father and my grandfather where my grandfather is a, that kind of person who will keep everything. Because <laughs> um, yeah. you never know you never know when it's going to be useful. Right? There's, a bit, there's a bit, I think, where he's like, um, oh, take some wire with you. You'll, you'll always find a use for wire. Yeah, he just picks up like off that. the floor. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the Vladek yeah. says. Yeah. And Artie's like, I don't want wire, but that's exactly what my granddad would do. My granddad would be like, oh, I've got some spare wire. Do you want, you know, why would I possibly need wire? <laughs> but my granddad... And exactly the same as Vladik. My granddad is... The, the house they live in is like 150, 200 years old. And at 75, he would climb up onto the roof and clear out the drain pipes. And it's like you're 75. You're going to slip off and you're going to kill yourself. But he refused not to do it. Like, he was... That's just who he was. And he's 80 years old in great shape not that he like does sit-ups or press-ups or anything but he's just that's just that generation who grew up you know that that was his normal and that's not who my dad is at all so me and my dad are much more in line and much closer than than he is with his dad and i that's something i see within that book like i um yeah, I can't imagine a situation where me and my dad are that different, unless, um, oh no, I can't think, unless he did something really terrible. But, <laughs> Which of course uh, he wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. it's interesting that you brought that up, actually, because I hadn't thought about that, but there is, I can see something um, in 
Artie being my dad and Vladik being his dad. Because mm. my granddad was an engineer and was very much um, a hands-on. He could, he could have built a bunker during the Holocaust to to shield to shield to fleeing Jews. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. he he was that kind of guy who could build anything, make anything. He could mm. do electricals. He could do brickwork. He could do and like he was just one of those men who didn't ever pay anyone to do anything because he could do it all himself. Yeah. Whereas my dad, at least, um, after I was born and you know throughout my childhood. He would do bits and bobs, but then as I as I got older, and I suppose we got more financially comfortable, he was he would always be the sort of person to be like, why, why, why do? Why it? would I do the plumbing? Why would I do that? I Let's just get plumber. someone in who can do it yeah. properly. Um, so I suppose that there's an element of comfortability um, mm-hmm. financially, but yeah, now, um, now that he lives out in the country, he's kind of reverted the other way and he, they have like 10 foot hedges all around their garden and he'll go out and do them himself over the course of a weekend because there's so much of it and he has to like climb up a ladder and hold a big hedge trimmer above his head despite the fact he has got a dodgy shoulder which gives him pain every single day. And we all say, Dad, like not only is he, you know, you've got a bad shoulder, you probably shouldn't be doing this. Also, you're up on a ladder on your own in a huge garden what if you fall and broke your back and there's no one around going to be able to help you mum's not going to be able to see you mum's not going to be able to hear you just pay someone to do it properly and he's like well no I think I'd rather rather do it myself so he's kind of swung the other way where he's entering semi-retirement and now he wants to do everything for himself again yeah that's something I see with with my dad as well I went down to to stay with him a few weeks ago um he said, uh, oh, there's a rattling noise in the radiator. So what we're going to do, we're going to take the radiator off the wall. We're going to drain the radiator. We're going to flush it through and we're going to do all. And I was like, OK, <laughs> so so we did all we did all of those things. He was like, OK, now when we're he, he, going through the whole the whole process, got to be very careful when you turn this, because if we nudge that little screw too much, all the water's going to come hissing out. So just don't touch that, you know, and it was yeah. this kind of a. I'm very envious kind of, 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 um, of men who just know that shit. It's just like this weird dad knowledge that comes out of thin air where they just know how to bleed a radiator and, yeah. and know how to switch off the... I said really simple, like switch off the water and can change a fuse and all that stuff. I, I know why my dad knows how to do that stuff because his dad was an engineer, but I'm still kind of in awe that it just seems to be a thing that all dads know how to do stuff around the house. Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that generationally knowledge that would be passed on from generations like give me a hand with this and pay attention while you give me a hand with it that you don't get once you start calling out your plumbers or your whatever because you don't say okay now watch what the plumber's doing so the next time you can you know you can take care of it on your own um yeah yeah it's it's knowledge that we lose and another great example is um knowing how to read a map (laughs) really is knowing right uh, imagine you're you're out you're out in the uh, the new forest right which is the forest outside southampton yeah and you've got an ordnance survey map your phone's dead right all you've got is your ordnance survey map you you don't know where you are but you've got to kind of guess using the map yeah i would be able to use that map because i grew up before route maps were everywhere on your mobile phone 
right? Before it was like, oh, I'll just follow this route planned out for me on by Apple. But I don't know. I know very well that my 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 ex girlfriend now. That's we'll get onto that on the therapy podcast. Um, <laughs> that would be absolutely stranded and would have no idea how to get back. Yeah. And yeah, imagine if if you and Laura are out with in in the new forest with an ordnance survey map. Uh, do you think that you would be able to use the map, and do you think Laura would be able to use the map? I think I would be able to use the map, but Laura could probably get us out without needing it because she's got this weird inbuilt sonar yes. compass thing, which means yeah. she can navigate her way out of anywhere. Like yeah. we went to Edinburgh a couple of years ago, and we walked all the way through the city uh, yeah. all day, and then the next, and we we used our phones for maps and stuff, and then the next day. She was. We were, t- we were planning where to go, and she was. And I was like, okay, well, I'll get my map out. And she was like, no, no, we just go up there, do that, do left, yeah, go right, do yeah, there, yeah, and then we're yeah, there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. how the hell do you know that? She's like, because we walked it, we walked near it yesterday. I was like, but how do you remember? She's just yeah. got. She can just do that. But yeah, say we were blindfolded and dropped in the middle of the forest. I think. I think I would do better with with the map, but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't f- figure out where I was with a compass and like the position of the fucking sun or anything yeah 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 and again i think that's again that's because clubs like um like groups like scouts or you know that kind of thing were more popular 20 years ago when when we were kids yeah and when it's like if you want to drive to you know drive to france you've got to be able to use your a to z roadmap in the back of the car there's no sat nav or anything like that but like my brother is that much younger than me; is eight years younger than me. I don't know if you'd be able to give him an, an ordnance survey map, and he'd be able to do it. But that was generational knowledge that was passed down to me, that I think is lost with the advent of Wi-Fi, and and three G, yeah, and being able to go on Google and find a, yeah. um, you know, a, a, what do they call them? plumbers and electricians and all that yeah they just they're there at the click of a button and we'd rather yeah. because it's convenient we'd all rather now pay to have someone just come out and do it and then figure it out for ourselves yeah see now we're becoming old men oh next I episode of the podcast <laughs> how to do plumbing with dave and dong that's yeah. gonna be uh our next one okay i think yeah i think that's that's uh, a, a good a good place to to start the conversation uh, for today have you got any final thoughts? Anything you, you want to bring up? Any ideas for next week? Um, you know what? I did have one and I've forgotten it. Well, you're doing the editing. So you can pre- you can remember it and then you can put it back in at the end and pretend that you, you knew all along. <laughs> yeah, just like a little extra added on bit. Yeah, which yeah, sounds completely yeah. different for some reason. Yeah, because you can't be bothered to set up your microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll just do it on my phone. It'll be fine. Okay, well, in that case, uh, thank you, everyone, for, for listening to this episode. A little bit shorter, um, but longer than I thought it was going to be, actually. I, it was a, a, a cool, in-depth conversation, I think. Yeah, no, I enjoyed yeah, it. It was great. That. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Daddy Issues. Bye. See ya.